1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Podcast with me, Julie Smith. This week, I'm with author Caroline Eden, whose book, The Black Sea, has received high praise across the food world. Only last week, winning her a special commendation at prestigious Andre Seymour onwards and it was Delicious deputy editor Susan Lowe's favourite book of last year. You can hear us discuss our favourite books of 2018 at deliciousmagazine.co.uk slash stories slash podcasts. I asked Caroline if she was surprised that the book had been received so well.
1: Um, yes I have been surprised. Um, I suppose when I was putting the book together and I thought it's going to be a book that either people are going to really like it or they're not going to like it at all because it is an unusual book. Um, But I I felt fairly confident that it would sort of convince people in the sense that it's an area I think that's a a lot of interest. Turkey, people understand a bit. Romania and Bulgaria, less. Southern Ukraine, maybe less than that. So I thought it was probably the time was right. And it's interesting that you say
0: that, you know, these are all areas where we have masses of migration from. We have a lot of feeling, perhaps, as a country, particularly at the moment, divided about the role of immigrants. Um, Bulgaria, Poland, Russia, that world, you know, has given us a lot of people coming across our borders And I would say that we know very little, actually, about their lives. And you've used food as a lens to not just talk about what they eat, but actually to paint a really beautiful picture of the way that they live now and have lived for centuries. Was that deliberate?
1: Yes, I, I set off with a very clear idea in my mind of what I was looking to find when I did my journeys along this particular stretch of the Black Sea. And I don't circumnavigate the whole thing. It's a section between Ukraine and northern Turkey. And I wanted to paint a contemporary picture. And I wanted to talk about the past as well. And food was just a, a very useful way of bringing everything t- together and sort of having a, a focus, because where do you start and where do you stop with such historic regions? Um So that kept me focused. And food travels it crosses borders it's always linked to migration um so it seemed it seemed the logical thing to do and i really like the idea of as a travel writer letting people eat the journey and taste the culture and that sort of thing yes
0: i mean it is absolutely a multi-sensory read you know you start off in odessa um and you paint a picture of an Odessa I want to go to. I mean, you yes. talk you talk about it being on the literary trail for many of the great writers, Mark Twain, for example. Give us an example of why those people were drawn to Odessa. What did you find?
1: Odessa is a curious place. It's not like Kiev or other Ukrainian cities. It's very much on its own. It was Catherine the Great's port city in the south. It was a place of great trade, migration, and. Um, Fantastic things coming into the port, especially in the in the 19th century. So you'd have cargoes of Jaffa oranges, indigo silks, drugs, y- you name it. And I think these sort of fairly loose salon yeah. writers would be drawn there. It was a bit warmer than Moscow and St Petersburg. So you'd get people like Goggle um, and Pushkin traveling down there. Some of them were exiled, some of them self exiled. Um, but yeah, I think it was a unique place that drew creative people. Um, Gogol had an uncle there so he sort of stayed in his house and all of this remains it's a fantastically literary city I I travelled there to cover a literary flash mob for a newspaper a couple of years ago and literally the streets were filled with people from all ages, 16 to 80 reading Barbel, Pushkin other sort of Russian writers out on the street altogether, yes, and it's
0: a city that actually has a museum of literature to tell its history through through its books. Mark Twain went there for ice cream when you've got the <laughs> recipe in in the book. Tell us about that particular ice cream
1: uh, well he was he traveled there on a steamboat and he talks about how when you're in the hot climates of the east, if you find ice cream, one should take advantage of it being <laughs> there and get stuck in so it's it's not an authentic recipe, but I thought I can't read this fantastic passage about Mark Twain eating ice cream in Odessa and not try and include a recipe. So I made up a recipe for Mark Twain's debauched ice cream, thinking what kind of ice cream would they perhaps have been serving in these great pavement cafes, which were quite famous. Fanconi was one of them. Um, And so, yeah, it's a sort of invented recipe. to tell the, the history and the story of Mark Twain's time there. It
0: feels to me that it is full of real people who you meet, wonderful quirky photographs of real people, amazing recipes, some of which you, as you say, have made up, but also the ghosts of you know, centuries past. Sticking with Odessa just for a moment, you talk about it as a very Jewish city. Um, and it was 100%. Or the, the shtetls around Odessa were 100% Jewish, obviously. Post-Holocaust, there are no Jews there. Now. There are
1: about 3%. I mean, very, very small. There are operating synagogues there. Um, but yeah, it was a great centre of European Jewry for, for a very long time. Um, and... They, they. I mean, Ukraine's got a difficult r- history with with Jewish culture, um, and it was the Romanian Allied Nazis who really decimated the the Jews that lived there. But the history does remain, and it's very curious that you can go to an Odessa cafe and be served Jewish food in a non Jewish restaurant. Mm. So you can get things like like latkes, or you can get you know forschmak, which is sort of Yiddish. Forshmach's a Yiddish herring pate, which is more delicious perhaps than it sounds. Mm. But they, they, they respect the, the history of their Jewish culture. There's a fantastic tiny Jewish museum in a house um, where they have Isaac Babel's kitchen cabinet and all kinds of curious...
0: Um, Isaac Babel being one of the jury's most celebrated literary talents. Yes,
1: Odessa's uh, uh, most famous literary son, uh, someone I draw upon a lot in the book because he writes fantastically about food. Yeah. Um, oh, and did you, I wonder if he
0: sold himself as somebody who wrote beautifully <laughs> about food. It's something you certainly found out, didn't yeah,
1: you? Yeah, I, I don't think he did. And I think we can't sadly cl- cl- classify him as a food writer. But uh, uh, around the time I was researching the book, a new translation came out um, of Odessa's stories. And you can't read it and not notice all the references to food. People are thwacked over the head with colanders. You know, men are described as looking like a pillar of meat It's sort of very curious uh, food description. Yes, I, I pulled one out. You said,
0: cows are full of spring. pink milk of spring yeah. and dogs feast on jellied veal. Mm. I mean, it's a wonderful way to paint a picture of a city, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, very early on in my research, I was reading a lot of eyes Isaac Barbell and I just thought food, it's such a fantastic thing for writing about anything. Mm. And that's what I love as a travel writer. It's just you can you can use it to talk about almost anything. It is political. It's historic. It's migration. It's trade winds trade winds now yeah. and then and
0: yeah absolutely and you know those ghosts kind of linger all the way through and it's a beautiful celebration but it's also quite a melancholy journey because there has been so much that has happened to the places that that you go to when you end up in turkey uh, istanbul you talk about the, there's a, a sort of a sense of the russian ghosts isn't there
1: there is. And what's interesting, so I, I write quite a lot about the white Russians who came across the Black Sea, um, people who were loyal to, to the Tsar fleeing the Bolsheviks, the sort of 1920s. Um, and it's interesting that there are still some remaining Russian churches on the rooftops in Galata, but there's not very much else remaining. So I stay at the Parapalace Palace Hotel when I go to Istanbul and they used to drink in the bar there. And I always think, what a shame that they haven't got a little plaque or something or photographs of these amazing Russians who would be sat there in the sort of silk fineries. Whereas when you're in Odessa, they hold on to the Jewish yes. history and it's sort of there and you can find it without looking too hard. But the the I guess Istanbul's a, is a mega city yeah. and they've just sort of disappeared.
0: And it's one you go to fairly often.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Istanbul and I visit a few times a year, um, mainly to eat. If I'm completely honest, <laughs> my husband and I just eat when we go to Istanbul. We love it and we've got friends and um, journalist friends there as well. So, yeah.
0: Would you call yourself a travel writer or a food writer?
1: I'd say I'm a travel writer. I mean, I've worked as a travel journalist for for 10 years um, and I do some cultural writing, book reviewing and things as well. But I love writing about food. Maybe I'm both. I don't know. It's it's difficult. I suppose I'm, I'm a writer. Well, I suppose when you pitch your books to publishers, you know, what are you pitching it as? i this book was pitched as a um, travel book with recipes okay. and that's what I call it I don't care what people call it if they call it a cookbook that's fine by me but really it's probably a travel book with recipes because it's got a narrative yeah. and the idea is to read it from start to finish ideally yeah. you don't have to you can dip in and read the odd essay cook the old recipe but I think to get the most out of it I've written it as a travel travel narrative, so from start to to finish.
0: It's an interesting area to go to as an adventurer. You go to places that people don't really go to, and there are places in Turkey that you describe where you are literally the only Western traveller, tourist. Mm. But you refer to some uh, Arab tourists who are responding to a Turkish dance in exactly the same way as any tourists in the world would do, taking pictures on their phones, filming it. Do you feel very, very far away when you're the only Western person in town?
1: Um, I, you're referring to um, something I witnessed in Trabzon. Trabzon's a fantastic city in the far northeast of Turkey. You do feel very far away from things there because it's a city with a very distinct identity. It sort of stands on the Black Sea coast, up by the Georgian border, very far from Ankara and Istanbul. Um, And that does feel quite a foreign place. Sadly, Western visitors used to go there, but they don't so much go there now. There's an amazing monastery called Samela that tourists would go, cultural sort of tourists would go and visit. Um, But they've been hit by the, 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 the coup and political... Um, situation in Turkey and terroris- terrorism as well. But Arab tourists, yes, they've been marketed to very heavily in the Gulf by um, the government in Turkey. And many of them go there and they find things that we, we consider a turn off. So Halal restaurants, a fairly wet, cool climate. You know, if you're escaping Bahrain in the summer, it's a nice place to go. Um, it's on the sea, it's sort of It is actually very safe. It's relatively conservative as a a Turkish city, very nationalistic. And you talk about Istanbul also being really hit by the fear
0: of terrorism Mm. um, and obviously the impact of the coup. Do you think that Western travel to Istanbul as a city break, for example, used to be one of our top city breaks,
1: those days gone? No, I think, you know, I was in Istanbul, say, two weeks ago and it's certainly coming back. So the two years I was pinging out of Istanbul quite regularly for this book, the hotel that I stay in was sort of running on 10% occupancy. And I was the only blonde person in the Grand Bazaar. One afternoon, which is unthinkable yeah. for any of us who've been—you know—it's normally packed with tourists. But yes, thankfully for, 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 for the Turks and in the, the economy and the people who work in the tourism industry, it's definitely coming back. I think tourism is extremely buoyant. It takes a knock and it springs back quite quickly. Yeah. And Istanbul is, is too much of a fantastic city to be held down. It's certainly coming back.
0: Yeah. Where next? Where? When you've been to? When you've been on a journey like this, which really takes you to the back of beyond to meet people who? Just tourists just
1: don't meet. Where's the next big adventure? I don't have a big adventure in mind at the moment, but I live in Edinburgh, and the highlands are on our doorstep kind of, so we we head up there a lot, and I want to do some good hill walking this spring. so once we see the end of end of winter, which I think is just sort of starting now up there in Edinburgh I shall be taking my dog up and hill walking around the Cairngorms and a bit further north.
0: And will you meet people because that's what brings this book to life you could have easily just you know described your journey through the Black Sea but it's the people and their food so you are very intimate with the geography. How do you do that when you're in your homeland? Would you go out of your way to meet the salmon smokers the scallop divers would that help you tell
1: the story of your homeland? I suppose it definitely would. I, I hate to say that I'm quite lazy in Scotland. But I probably don't do that. I mean, I know I know that the pub landlords and the rest are on terms of Edinburgh quite well. But um, no, I mean, when when we go to the Highlands, we often don't see anybody for two or three days if we go camping or walking because it's so it's so fantastically remote still well i
0: suppose that's my point you know yeah. that's the way most of us travel yeah. we see the surface we see yeah. our version of you know where we choose to go to it's only when you knock on doors and you actually go and eat with people and hear their stories in yeah. different accents and languages that you start to get a different sense of a place and i wonder if you your travels around the world have given you that sort of incentive to discover what's actually on your own doorstep
1: i think what it certainly does do the more you travel and i spe- i've been traveling a lot for 25 years now um is i think it gives you a sense of empathy and i think that's a really important thing and i think that's the wonderful thing about travel i think you realize how how close and similar we all, we all are it sounds like a cliche but i think it's true and i think it does it does give you a great sense of empathy
0: yeah which is tremendously important as we kind of deliberate who we are and who we want to share our lives with thank you very much caroline Eden. Thanks for listening to The Delicious Podcast. I'll be back next week with the Sest Quest Asia Finals, the competition that celebrates the best in authentic Asian cooking to reveal the best young Asian chef in the UK. I'll see you then.